Extraordinary Unplugged, a podcast for people looking to create bigger, braver, more meaningful lives, people who are prepared to do what it takes to make it happen. Every day I was waking up and my dad was sit there and they were saying to me, your legs are gone. I'm like, they're not gone, I can feel them. You're winding me up. So my brain's still trying to send messages to limbs that are no longer there. This week I met with Josh, who on New Year's Eve 2010, aged just 24, lost both legs and an arm by stepping on an explosive device whilst on patrol in Afghanistan. His story of courage, acceptance and determination to live an extraordinary life no matter what just blew me away. I'm going to start with the question, Josh. Who are you? Who am I? Um, I've often asked myself that a few times, but um, no, I'm Josh. I'm I'm 34 years old, and yeah, I'm a, a sort of work hard, play hard type of bloke. I do work hard, and I like to play hard. But I'm also a family man. Um, I've got a little boy who I'm a football coach for. I coach him. Um, I'm married, happily married to a beautiful woman. I just someone who loves life. But mainly, I'm on this podcast. I think is because I'm now a triple amputee having been injured in Afghanistan 10 years ago. I lost both my legs through the knee, so where my femurs are, the end of your femurs, if you touch your knees, my legs are literally gone from there, and I've lost my right el- my right arm midway down my forearm. A few things missing. <laughs> <laughs> but actually not your energy for life, which is incredible. I'm a great believer in sort of acceptance, and the minute you can accept something's happened to you and there's nothing you can do about it, it's the minute you can move on in life. So tell us your story, Josh. Tell us the key bits, I guess. So... You joined the army. Yeah, so I joined the army when I was 17 and a half years old. Followed in my dad's footsteps. He was in the army and then went on went on to become a police officer, which is what I want to do in life. Learned how to blow stuff up for a living. That was great fun. Then I learned how to jump out of airplanes for a living. That was great fun. And yeah, I deployed to Afghanistan three, uh, three times over four years. And 10 days after my little boy was born, I was back in the desert for my third tour of Afghanistan. On New Year's Eve 2010, um, we were on a dawn patrol and I... I stood on an improvised explosive device that morning, an IED, so that's basically a homemade bomb. Um, I stood on it with my right foot. It triggered beneath me, blew me up in the air off a road and into a ditch. My right leg was gone through the knee. My left leg was that badly damaged. They they had to basically take it off through the knee. And yeah, my right arm, uh, you have your radius and your ulna. My, my radius was fine, but my ulna, the bone underneath was completely destroyed. So I ended up having to amputate my hand chop my arm in half basically turn it around and bolt it back in and reconstructed my elbow so i've got a, a fully functioning elbow but yeah it just goes to show that in literally in a split second your life can go from being a 24 year old fit able-bodied guy in the desert loving his job to well, what is life now so how long were you in afghanistan were you shipped straight out what happened so by this point in afghanistan um medical advancements had been were amazing i mean they had a thing called the golden hour if they could get you from the point of injury to the hospital within an hour i think it was a 94 percent chance of survival no matter what happened to you and i think i was back in the hospital within 47 minutes of being blown up they fly a helicopter out to get you you're chucked on the back of a helicopter it's like an ambulance that flies there's surgeons on there med everyone i just remember being put on the back of this helicopter and do you know, like in a movie scene where the, sort of the world goes black and it's just a face in front of you. That's all I remember is seeing this doctor's face in my face. And yeah, him saying to me, you're clearly conscious. Are you in pain? And uh... Do you know what blows me away about that is that is that the army have got to the stage where they have got that nailed. And, and you know, the brilliance of that high performance team is just, 
oh my goodness, you know, if we could apply that in business and in life and in society, that ability to understand every second counts in that moment. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, I don't I don't remember this. I've been putting an induced coma on the helicopter. I just remember a big needle going into my chest and that was it. I was out with the fairies. Um but from what I'm told in the hospital they literally chop off the bits that are no longer savable, get you uh, stable uh, and then a plane will fly from the UK to pick you up to fly back to the UK. So I was back in the UK in Birmingham Hospital, the Queen Elizabeth Hospital. I think it was 24 hours from being injured. And if it wasn't for that and the medics on the ground, I wouldn't be here. You arrived back in Birmingham Hospital. Then I'm assuming you had a fairly long journey, both mentally and physically, um, to to understand what your life was about, to rehabilitate, to understand how you're going to operate. Just just give me a few minutes on that. You know, what, what went on for you? Well, firstly, I'm going to go mentally. I was in no pain whatsoever because of the drugs that are pumped into your system um, just to keep the pain down. I didn't have a clue where I was. First time I remember waking up was to a priest stood at the end of the bed. And I just remember the, the, the old white collars that they wear and it was the, the military um, padre. And I thought, wow, I'm in heaven. The next time was to a nurse stood at the end of the bed, pulling on a rubber glove to make sure that everything still works between your legs, um, which would have been great. But he was 40 years old, bald. And I was like, <laughs> what is going on? Uh, and then I kept trying to find my rifle. Um, I didn't have a clue. I'd gone from the desert to a hospital, but I didn't know how I got there. Every day I was waking up and I was, my ex-partner at the time and my dad was stood there and they were saying to me, your legs are gone. And I'm like, they're not gone. I can feel them. You, you, you're you winding me up. So my brain's still trying to send messages to limbs that are no longer there. I was in a, a bad place. I mean, to me, intensive care in Birmingham was a round circle with a nurse's station in the middle. I thought it was the Millennium Falcon from Star Wars. There were people fighting with lightsabers everywhere. I, I was, like I said, I was all over the place. And then eventually they they move you from intensive care to the normal ward. And the first night in the normal ward, I had a dream that my sergeant major had come to the end of my bed and told me to follow him. So I somehow managed to sit up and fall out the bed and knock myself out, open wounds back up. Yeah, but I mean, the worst thing for me, though, was sort of two and a bit weeks after being injured. I, I finally managed to go to the toilet for myself. I managed to get in a wheelchair, get to the toilet, do my business. And then as I was trying to get back in the wheelchair, I sort of slipped and fell. And landed on the floor with my stumps, smashing the floor, my elbow, which had just been reconstructed, smashing the floor. Um, I was lying there completely naked. I've never felt so vulnerable in my life. And it's it's one of them things where you know you've got to pull an orange cord to get some help. I managed to pull some boxer shorts on, pull the cord, and it was it it was I was completely lost. I didn't know what my life meant anymore. I didn't know what purpose I had in life. I was a dad, but how was I gonna be a dad? As a soldier, how was I going to carry on being a soldier? Genuinely, I was completely lost. But a day or two after that, though, a guy walked past my room in hospital with a set of prosthetic legs on, the old uh, microprocessor knees. And again, I nearly fell out of bed pulling the orange cord to get him to come back and talk to me. And he came back, sat in my room, and I was just amazed at these legs and how he was a triple amputee as well. But he was walking. He had a, he had this arm on where the hand moved and everything. And it was at that moment then I sort of accepted that my army career is probably over, but my legs and my arm are gone. But there's nothing I can do about it now. I can sit here and feel sorry for myself, or I can accept this has happened, use this guy as an inspiration, and follow what he's done. Um, and that's what I did. Josh says this so casually, but really, let's just pause for a second. We all get times in life when we're knocked off course, most of us nowhere near as badly as Josh got knocked off. 
But the same lesson applies to all of us. Sometimes we just need to find a role model, someone that can show us what's possible and show us that there is a path ahead. Once we can see a future for ourselves, we can plan how to get there. Spent a few more weeks in hospital and then I went to the, um, the Defence Medical Rehab Centre, which was at Headley Court in Epsom. And, and you get there and there's just robots walking around everywhere. Guys with legs missing, half their heads missing, arms missing. But you're in this situation where everyone's in it together and you've all been through the same sort of situation and you get there. And it, honestly, it's just within eight weeks of being blown up, I was on these little, they make a socket and they put a pad on the end of it that goes on your leg. So you're walking around about four foot five, like an oompa loompa walking around everywhere. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks later, once you've got used to them, you, you they bring you up a bit more until 12 weeks after being injured. I was back up to six foot again. We'll say five eleven, but in my head I was six foot. <laughs> but um, yeah, just it just goes to show you from point of injury to not thinking life to get any worse to falling off a toilet to just that one conversation with someone asking how do you how do I get there? It just goes to show you that once you've made that you've accepted what's happened, you make the choice and you commit to the choice. My choice was I need to get out of this wheelchair. This wheelchair is a set of handcuffs to me. I don't like it. I need to be walking again. I need to be mobile. I made that choice, I committed to it, and twelve a few weeks later, I'm six foot tall again. I mean, you make it sound incredibly easy, right? You're sort of going, I lost both legs, yeah, yeah. my arm, and 12 weeks later, I'm walking around. You obviously had a very conscious moment where you made a decision. Tell me, what, what went through your mind at that point? Were you going, I could just let go and give up, or I could get yeah. my life back? What happened? Well, I, I, I don't think I ever sort of went, oh, this is it, life's over. There was never that moment for me. It was always just, it, I was not scared, but I just didn't know how I was going to do anything. I, I had a career and that was sort of taken away from me. I had a family. I didn't know how I was going to be a dad. I was concerned about not being able to play football again. <laughs> I was thinking, what jobs am I going to do? The important things in life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but um, no, I, I wouldn't say there was a moment where I thought, well, that's it, life's over. It was scary not knowing what was going to happen. But then again, I was in a ward full of injured soldiers, so everyone's in the same situation as you. In the military, the dark humour, the banter, is, it's what get you, gets you through sort of troubling times. It's that moment of, right, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? Right, I need to I need to work hard. I need to get fit and I need to work hard. You were whilst I was in hospitals, you have physios that come and see you every day and they're starting you to get to work your core muscles and your backside, because that's what you use to power prosthetic legs, is your core and your bum. So you're starting straight away to, to rebuild yourself and recover. How long until you left the centre? So I went back and forth um to Headley Court for about two and a half years. You'd have niggly little injuries, like you'd have your stump would inflame you, you'd get a little infection in there, so you'd need to have an operation. Um, I'd have, I've had a few operations, mainly on my arm. To be honest, you, you've, after your first couple of missions, you sort of know what you need to do then. You know you're going to go back out into the big bad world and fit back into society. And that was my main, my main goal for sort of the first two years. So tell me about that then. So your career path has gone. I don't know what happened personally. It really opened my eyes up to the world. It just small things that you think matter don't matter. And unfortunately, me and my, well, it's my choice. I mean, my, my little boy's mum split up not long after I was injured. She was amazing through the beginning of looking after me in hospital and stuff. But 
we used to argue over the colour of an orange. And even now, looking back, she's actually admitted to me that at the time, a lot of people hated me. But it was the right choice to make because she's happy now, I'm happy. And the main thing is our little boy's happy. That was pretty early on in the recovery process. But fitting back into society for me was sorting my house out, uh, learning how to drive again so I can drive a car with just one limb. It's amazing. It's like a go-kart. You have a little hand control and my, my arm clips the steering wheel and steers. It's like driving. Honestly, it's easier than driving a normal car with pedals. Um, <laughs> but things like that, just gradually getting your independence back, not being reliant on people. That was that was what was important to me. And all guys, when they're injured, will admit you're stubborn as anything. You will not ask for help. I'm going to do this myself. Uh, that will come on to that later in life where you actually go, why am I being so stubborn? Can I have some help, please? Um mm. But yeah, no, do you know, it was just, I was just happy to be alive. You genuinely yeah. are just happy to be alive. You're going out with friends. You've just got this zest for life again. You've been through this near-death experience where you shouldn't be here anymore. Luckily you are. And now you're going to enjoy yourself. So you, you've you done more than enjoy yourself, haven't you? You've um, <laughs> achieved one or two things. Um, so do you want to just tell us about that? Uh, well... Yeah, I mean, like I said, I spent the first two and a half years sort of enjoying myself, uh, drinking, eating, going out to gigs, live music, all that sort of stuff. And then one day you look in the mirror and you go, you fat. <laughs> Not fat, <laughs> but yeah, to me, I just, I'd gone from this fit soldier to this person I didn't recognise anymore in the mirror. And this is where I got into hand cycling. Um, so hand cycling is basically, it's like a reliant robin of a bike, two wheels at the back, one at the front. You use your arms to power it and you're really low to the road. It's it's great fun. Um, I signed up to do a charity bike ride from Paris it to London. It looks really frightening. Can I just say, you're so low to the road. I, <laughs> it freaks genuinely. me out. Oh, yeah. I've hit a few speed bumps before and you can feel oh. it in your backside when it hits you. But yeah, no, I, I, managed, I signed up to do a charity bike ride from Paris to London. Um, did it, 450 miles. First trip out my teeth we've ever done it. That's not why I did it. I did it because... I needed it. I needed a challenge in my life. If you've not got something to look forward to or work towards, you sit there and stagnate and feel sorry for yourself. You always need to challenge yourself and push yourself. Again, this is another message for all of us. Research shows us that having a purpose in life, along with strong relationships, is the most important thing in leading a fulfilled and meaningful life. Taking the time to discover what that may be for you is going to be time really well spent. For me, that was it. I, I think I did 20 miles training before I did it. I got to Paris. 20 and miles went, before you did 450. Well, 20 miles was the furthest, furthest I'd ridden in one day. <laughs> and then the first day of this Paris to London was 90 miles. Someone <laughs> told me Northern France is flat as well. They, they lied. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but do you know what? I got to London and I was knackered. Saw my girlfriend at the time, but now wife. Um, in London at Horse Guards and went, I'm never riding this bike again. It's going in a garage. I'm never getting on it again. Um, but two weeks later, I was back in London and I was watching two of my friends actually race hand bikes around London. And I couldn't believe how many people were there watching. There were thousands upon thousands of people. And just watching that just gave me the bug to get into cycling pretty much full time. I fully sort of committed to putting everything in life on hold, stop the drinking, eating properly, losing weight and do you know what I just you start feeling good about yourself you, you just feel amazing you you you've got a power me, power meter on your bike which is feeding your data it's telling you you're getting stronger and stronger and stronger and mm. you're becoming a better cyclist and yeah and because of that I went into the Invictus Games in 2014 and I won a bronze medal for my 
for well for the UK Armed Forces team. But that wasn't good enough for me. Bronze was nice at the time. It's like ah, bronze, cool. But when I looked at the result, I'd been been beaten, absolutely destroyed by a French guy in the time trial, and then he lapped me in the road race, and it just I felt a bit. I love French people. And I love going to France on holiday, but I was so upset I was beaten by a Frenchman. I was like, no, <laughs> I can't. I can't allow this. So I, I, I then fully made the choice to literally put everything in life on hold and focus on just riding this bike and making it go making the bike get faster what can i do to make this bike go faster well i need to lose weight i need to just literally be on it all the time and you know i did that i took myself to mallorca for four months for the year at the start of 2016 and just literally told my wife right i'm, I'm off to mallorca tomorrow i drove out there on my own and just rode my bike for he four drove months. to mallorca yeah drive to Portsmouth, get the boat to france drive to barcelona get the boat across um and yeah, just rented a villa and just trained and fully focused on riding the bike. After I finished the bike ride in 2013, the Paris of London, I got nominated for an award, the Sun Military Awards. And I was given the award by Sir Bradley Wiggins when I won it. And he invited me to go to Mallorca and train with Team Sky. Wow. So I went out there and trained with Team Sky. And I asked him, how do you do it every day? There are days where you just can't be bothered. You know, days you just you wake up, it's raining outside. Oh, I don't want to go out there. Why would you do it? And he said, I, it's not about today. It's about in four years' time when I need one second to win a gold medal. That's why I'm riding my bike today. And it opened my eyes up to professional sport straight away. If you're going to do this, you need to fully commit to it. And that's what I did. Josh's point is right. There is a big difference between dreaming about having and becoming something and committing to it. What do you really want? And are you committed to it? What are you going to do each day that is going to take you closer to your dream? Be honest with yourself. Are you doing what's necessary? Yeah, 2016, went back to Invictus Games in Orlando and I saw the French guy's name on the start sheet and I went, I'm beating him. I'm not losing to him again. <laughs> uh, and I went into the time trial and I absolutely buried myself and I lost by one second to him. But that was better than the whole minute he'd beaten me by the, the two years before. Uh, and I, I went into the road race and I went, oh, I'm going to beat him in the road race. <laughs> neck and neck into the final corner and he beat me by half a bike length. But do you know what? Two silver medals that day. And then, yeah, again, you, I, was, I was a bit gutted I didn't win. But then you look back and go, right, that's where I was two years ago. He was lapping me. He was beating me by minutes. Now I'm losing by seconds. I'm going to. Next time I race him, I'm going to beat him. But yeah, while I was in Orlando, they said to me, do you want to try anything else while you're here? And I said, I'll have a go at this indoor rowing. How hard can it be? <laughs> oh, it's horrendous, honestly. That I, I saw three rowing machines by the time I got off it and fell off the rowing machine. The end to be told I'd won a gold medal for my country. Which two was, gold which medals was, as well. Two gold medals, Two yeah, gold medals, two... let's be honest. All right, two gold so medals. So a bronze, then. two silver medals in cycling and two gold medals in rowing. Yeah. So and, you uh, never uh, rode before, before you entered? I've been on a rowing machine, yeah. but the first time I'd got on one and tried it properly was the day before the race. But it just it just showed you, though, where I'd fully committed to riding a bike. I was in good shape. I was fit. And that paid off on the rowing machine, <laughs> just not the bike. You just have such an incredibly positive energy towards life. i got to ask you, because I know this is going to be going through other people's minds. What, what happens to you when you get bad days? What goes on? Bad days are... There's only a few things that really wind me up in life. When I'm in the kitchen, trying to cook. I love cooking. I love cooking now. I found a, a real sort of zest for cooking. I love it. 
But sometimes I just have to put my hand up and go, can I have some help? You've got one hand at the end of the day. How do yeah. I cut an onion with one hand? How do I cut chicken breasts with one hand and stuff like that? It's And this is where I stopped being stubborn and actually asking for help sometimes. But... I mean, other things that wind me up. Middle lane drivers, but I won't go into that. (laughs) (laughs) They cause misery to millions. But, no, the zest for life, just... When when do I get down? Well, do you ever have... I mean, okay, so the other bit of the story we haven't told anyone yet is that I don't know when it happened, but you've recently had a really horrendous accident. When did it happen? Yeah, so last year, September last year, 2019, I was back in Mallorca with my wife and some friends, and we were just doing a a cycle lap of the island where you stop in different hotels every night and do a full lap of the island. Um, And yeah, on our fourth day of cycling, I think it was, we were leaving Polenza, going up the mountains in the north and then dropping down into Port Solier. Left early, got up and got up the hill before the sun came up and um, I mean, sort of three hours going up this mountain, if I'm being honest. I wasn't as bike fit as I used to be um, and I was was knackered by the time I got to the top. But yeah, as I started the descent, I was going round a corner and I went to, well, I was coming into a corner and I went to brake to go round a hairpin and my front tyre and my bike blew, as in, right, a massive bang. And at that moment there, I went, I'm not going to be able to stop because both your brakes are on your front wheel on a hand bike and a carbon fibre rim is not going to stop you on tarmac when you're doing 30 miles an hour down a hill. Uh, and as it went bang, a lorry was coming round the corner and it, for the first time in my life, I thought, oh, this is it, I'm dead. I'm just genuinely... Jenny thought I'm dead. I just remember seeing the axle turning under the lorry, uh, hurtling towards it. I mean, I've crashed a car before, and it is that. Before you're about to crash, the world slows down, and it was that. All right, I'm going to die here. That's that's how I thought. I, I thought I'm dead. Next thing I know, I'm lying on the side of the road, looking up at the sky going, I'm not dead. From the, the moment of I'm going to die to right, I'm al- awake, I'm alive, I went straight into that full body check you go through. I've not, my head's all right. I've not broken my arm. Wow, how, I've not broken this arm. My right leg, that's not broken. Well, what have I done? I went to pick my left leg up and nothing happened. From the guy who was riding behind me, my friend David, he said that I literally, tyre went, I hit the side skirts of the lorry and they pushed me into the back wheel and my whole left leg took the whole impact. So I'd snapped the top of my femur, the femur in your neck of femur, that had snapped in two. Uh, The end of my leg, the bone had all just crushed um and yeah i was in a deep dark place straight away i knew what needed to have straight away i needed a tourniquet put on my leg like in afghanistan we haven't got tourniquets over there you've got all the medical kit on you i'm on the side i'm on the side of a road in mallorca if you know what i mean so david took his cycling jersey off he's ex-military and just started tying it around my leg and um alan who was there as well trying to get me calm and they would just get trying to stem the blood flow the locals were brilliant. They stopped. They were helping. An old boy got a blanket out of his car and just stood above me trying to keep the shade off me. The lorry driver was amazing. At the end of the day, it was no one's fault. It was just an accident. But yeah, I mean, first 20 minutes, like when I was blown up, nothing hurt. I was sort of, I wasn't laughing and joking, but the shock and the adrenaline are kicking in. But I ended up waiting 40 minutes for an ambulance. In Afghanistan, I was back in the hospital by this point, if you know what I mean. Now I'm on the side of a road in Spain. (laughs) Can't Um, get the service, can you? I've never felt pain like it. I was in absolute agony. And I just remember being laid there. And I I can genuinely remember myself drifting in and out of consciousness. And David and Alan were talking to me. And yeah, I remember hearing the ambulance. And it took another 10 to 15 minutes to get there. Because it's coming from the bottom of a mountain. You're on top of it. Yeah, it was emotional. I remember them getting there, jumping out the ambulance and sort of looking at me on the floor, 
three limbs missing and blood everywhere going, what is going on here? Um, and David, who was with me, said they were they were off. They were going to run into the bushes and try and find limbs and stuff. But and he had to cut. So no, 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 he's an amputee already. And yeah, they managed to get some pain meds into me. And yeah, that that was the start of a long trip. That was surely to God you had a moment then when you went. Maybe not then, but in a few weeks, you went. Really, me? You've got to be joking. Not again. I don't remember it. If that makes sense. I mean. while I was in the hospital in Spain I spent five days in the intensive care unit and they were brilliant I mean I knew what was going on I knew I was going to be going home soon they'd fixed my hip they bolted it back together they'd done what they needed to do with the end of my leg um and I felt great but it was in they put me in a normal ward uh and it was just then that the insurance company in the hospital just weren't talking to each other and I ended up staying there for another week before I got home and during that week, it's when I obviously contracted sepsis, um, and everything started shutting down in my body. And it took my it took my surgeon ringing my my surgeon in the UK, Miss Crick in Salisbury Hospital, who is an, an amazing lady, ringing my insurance company and basically saying to them, "If you do not get him home, he will die." Funnily enough, we had an airplane booked the next day, and I got home. But I literally got home on a Saturday night, and I just remember I wanted far. I just wanted a McDonald's. <laughs> you know, you just need some horrible salty food and. I remember David, who put the tourniquet on my leg in, in, in Mallorca, brought it into the hospital. And I think he said I had three chips and a chicken nugget. And I was like, I can't eat that. I was obviously not well. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd gone in there. I thought I was going to be in hospital for a week or two. I ended up spending 10 weeks in hospital um, just because my body had shut down. And it was just trying to get me back on the back on track and being able to come home. It's just... An incredible story, but the the incredible bit for me is is your how you've shown up to this. Again, it's having that you said about did I ever feel like why me again? And no, I don't I don't think I did because if you do that, that's when you start feeling sorry for yourself. And you you, you I don't feel you can do a lot. Me personally, if you don't get me wrong, there's days when I wake up and I go, Why am I sat in this wheelchair? Because I'm not walking at the moment because I've had surgery again recently because of the accident. Um and then you, you've just got to think, right, what can I do about it today? Nothing. What am I doing at the moment? I'm recovering from surgery, except that's happening. You'll be walking again in a few months. That Again, it's like the bike. Why do I ride the bike? Because I want to compete in an event down the line. Well, this is me now. Why am I, why am I in a wheelchair? Because my body needs to recover to learn how to walk again in a few months. It is... I've got that goal. My new, my next goal at the moment is to learn how to walk again. I love what you've just said. And I think it's it's worth repeating just from a accepting that life is just a series of events, most of which you've got no control over. And the only thing we have control over is how we respond to those events. And that's exactly what you're just talking about here, which is, you know, now I need to walk again. Well, I can sit here and get really annoyed about that, or I can just put my energy into learning to walk again. Yeah, I also, it's taking examples and inspiration from other people around you. So for me, I, I, I read quite a few books now and I've read a lot of uh, a lot of books since being injured and it's, it's inspiration for so sort of Dave Brailsford from Team Sky when I went out there and obviously met him and sort of started picking up stuff and he says control the controllables so control what you can control if you can't do anything about it don't worry about it it's it's out of your remit and also I read is it Legacy by James Curry it's about the All Blacks sweep the sheds never be too big to do the small things yeah, um, yeah. and they're just like Wow, the World Cup winning captain, Richie McCaw, is sweeping the change room afterwards because Absolutely. why shouldn't he? And, and things like that, it just, it's all attitude-based as well. If, 
if you've got the right attitude and again it all comes down to want and wanting to work hard if you want to achieve something can you work hard the majority of the time you're going to achieve it this is such a powerful message for all of us control the controllables how much time do you spend worrying about stuff that you have absolutely no control over it's such a waste of emotional energy energy that we could be directing into something that we really do have control over. What have you learned about asking for help? And what would your message be to other people? Not just in your situation, in any situation. I go into schools now and do sort of resilience sessions with um, Blesma and the Drive Project. Where you, uh, and It's all about teaching kids to come up with coping strategies. Now for me, a coping strategy is asking for help because I'm so stubborn that sometimes just going well for me if i'm upstairs in my office now if i wanted to get a drink i'd have to jump out my seat bum to the stairs bum down the stairs get in the wheelchair go to the sink get a glass of water try and wheel it back to the stairs put it on the stairs bum it up each step <laughs> bum back into the office and put it down next to me or i could just go anna can i have some help please it's not me becoming lazy, it's me just... I think it's you being strong, isn't it? It's actually showing strength. It's like my my ego isn't attached to whether or not I can walk down in a minute and get a glass of water. It's all about adapting to the situation you're in and asking for help is it's a fact of life now. You haven't got any legs anymore. Having It is having the courage to go, do you know what, I need some help here. Yeah, but I've got to say, you don't have to be a triple amputee to ask for help. Oh, no, definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you're... If you're out somewhere and someone's a sub- subject matter expert and you think you are, why don't you just ask for a bit of advice and a bit of Amazing. help? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you got from from Team Sky, right? Um, incredible yeah, exactly. support and help Soaking... because they're expertise. They have experts yeah. in what you're looking for, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Josh, I have a big thing about the fact that we can absolutely learn from other people, but we can also massively learn from ourselves. and. And the reason I ask people to write a letter to themselves at 17 is there's often so much learning in that. So would you mind reading that to us? Of course I will. Dear 17-year-old Josh, I've started with. Is that the right thing to start with? I'm not sure. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Uh, What a life you've led so far. There's been lots of ups and downs. Looking back now, you have no regrets. I've had some great times and done lots of amazing things. You have seen a lot of the world and you're also a dad. I say I have no regrets but I would have done a few things differently. While it's been great being 17 and getting into pubs at underage, beer and girls are not the be all and end all of life. It may seem so, but it's not. Try showing up to a football match, not hungover and enjoy it. It's amazing how much you'll miss it when it's gone. Try to start saving money at a young age if you can. Even if it's only 10% of your weekly, weekly wage, it's good to get into good habits. As you get older in life, it's harder to stay in shape. Listen to your body, you are what you eat. People come and go in your life, but you can always count on one hand the people who will always be there for you. Think about what people bring to your life. If it's negative, you don't need it in your life and they don't need to be in your life. Don't read too much into everything. It will drive you insane. Things will work out in the end. If you make a choice, commit to it. Life generally improves when you commit to something. Accept failure. The minute you accept something has happened and there's nothing you can do about it is the minute you can move on in life. Most importantly, work hard. You'll reap the benefits later in life. Good luck and enjoy every minute of it. Thank you. How did it feel writing that? Was it okay? Well, 
I sat down, I've been meaning to write it for a couple of weeks and I, I did it this morning and I think I started having a go at myself, but then I went, no, don't have a go at yourself. You've done, I've enjoyed life. I don't regret anything. Um, like I said, there's a few things I'd change and a few things when you're 17, 18 years old that you think are important that now you look back and go, oh, I was stupid then, wasn't I? If you know what I mean. Mm. But then again, I look at my son now who's 10 and the things he worries about and he's like, mate, you've got so much time ahead of you. Don't worry about it. But yeah, I did. I enjoyed writing it, if I'm being honest. It's a lot, like three or four pages and then I deleted a lot of it because you don't need that in there. You don't need negativity. Um, yeah, it is just, like I said, just look back at life and again, there's nothing I can do about it now. It's in the past. So, so what, what's, what's for the future now? The future for me is, uh, I've got an appointment tomorrow to get a new socket for my left leg, so I can um, I can start to learn how to walk again. But the future for me now is just staying fit, working hard, and being a dad and a husband at the end of the day. Um, I've done since being injured. I did my FA coaching courses, so I'm coaching a football team now as well, which is fun in a wheelchair at the moment, trying to show kids how to do things. But no, I've got another guy helping me, and he's brilliant. But Life now is just, I don't know, I've seen I've done loads of epic challenges and I just want to spend some time at home now. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure something will pop up in the future and I'll go, yeah, yeah. right, let's go and do that. Why not? But And listen, you know, one thing that strikes me is a key thing that happened to you was seeing the guy walk past you with his prosthetic legs. And I, I what strikes me about that is that was somebody role modelling what's possible. And it feels like, there's a massive part there around how we role model to people who are maybe in a place of going, I don't get how my life can be going forward. There's got to be a role there, hasn't there, around going, yeah. actually, your life can be incredible going forward. It just it just goes to show you that life does throw you these curveballs. You could be happily cycling along in Mallorca and then the next minute you're under a lorry. It's it's life. You've got to, I, I'd say life's a, a game of, sort of peaks and troughs. It will go up. It's going to come down, but it's how you get yourself back up there. And yeah. the genuinely, it's commitment and hard work that get you to where you want to be. And that's the way I try to live my life by. You've been listening to Extraordinary Unplugged, brought to you by Pixel, our wonderful sponsors, and Ivy House, a team on a mission to bring life-changing learning to students, teachers, and corporate organisations. If you know anyone that would benefit from this podcast, please share it. And to hear more, please subscribe. To find out more about Ivy House, you can visit us at ivyhouse.co.uk.